Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. In this next episode of This Lady Loves Sports, I get to talk to one of my favorite couples in basketball, Elgin and Elaine Baylor, joining us. Let's go! Welcome to This Lady Loves Sports Podcast with Pat Prescott. Sports. She knows it all and is here to talk about it. So get ready to hear sports talk in a way that you've never heard before. It's This Lady Loves Sports Podcast. And here's your host, Pat Prescott. This is Pat Prescott, and in this episode of This Lady Loves Sports, it is my honor and privilege to talk to one of the greatest players in NBA history. I don't know if he looks at himself that way, but certainly not only a dynamic player who changed the game, but also someone who did it on several different fronts as a player in management and is one of the pivotal figures in this sport and someone who has a heck of a story to tell. He has told it in his book, Hang Time, My Life in Basketball. It it is a must-read material for anybody who considers himself to be a serious NBA fan. And, of course, you know by now I'm talking about the one and only Elgin Baylor. Welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. It's good to have you here. And, and with Elgin today is a, somebody who's been through his side through very much of that, that life, and that is his lovely wife, Elaine Baylor. How you doing, Elaine? Fine, thank you. Well, it's good to have both of you here. And I wanted to talk a little bit um, uh, we'll talk about the book, but I guess in the process of talking about your life story, that is really what we are talking about because you chronicle that in the book and uh, do a beautiful job with that. I've been watching the the documentary uh, Basketball a Love Story, and I've been seeing some of the things that you talk about in the book as well as a part of that. And and it's a, it's a fascinating story, and you've been there for a while. Talk about the beginning of your career. We were chatting a moment ago, and you were talking about how there were only eight teams in the league when you first got started. Uh, let me see. It might have been six. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure it was eight or six. But, I mean, you know, it didn't have many players. I don't know if it was six. It might have been six. Uh-huh. I'm getting old, I can't remember all of them. <laughs> but uh, it was, I think, I don't know if it was eight or six teams, I'm not sure, but I think probably it was eight, eight teams, you know, when I first came into the league. And a and, lot, a, a whole lot has happened since then, but uh, talk about your, your background before you got into playing professionally. You know, well, my background, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I was the youngest of them. I had two sisters and an older brother. And my dad worked. He, in fact, take care of the family. He, you know, he didn't get a really lot education. I think he went like the second grade, and he had a family to take care of. A lot of kids. You know, in those days in Virginia, they had a lot of kids. <laughs> and uh, so I mean, but he took care of the family and us and everything else. And I, you know, love the family, my mother, and I have two brothers and two uh, sisters. And I was the youngest of the, you know, family, mm-hmm. and I was spoiled. So I mean, life, you know, growing up, you know, it was good, but living, it was a little difficult living in a segregated time, you know, in the city, because the schools were. You know, when I remember in the schools, uh, there was a uh, when I was going to school when I started elementary school, there were two schools. 
it was one school was white school, one school was a black school, and uh, when you I, I would walk to the schools and I would walk past this white school and I always wondered why, you know, uh, such a big, nice school. They had a playground, had a basketball court and all that. And I always wondered why we didn't we didn't have anything at school. We didn't have any athletic facilities or anything like that. And I always wondered why. You know, I, you know, I didn't know until my parents, you know, just told me just why, you know. Yeah, there's um, some other people who think some other different things and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> different from what we think at our house. But yeah, you know. because I couldn't understand it. See, Washington D.C. being a very segregated city, you know, a nation capital and prison, and everything else. I couldn't understand that why it would you know be that way that you couldn't go to the same schools, restaurants were that way. So yeah. when, when did you find yourself find your way to basketball? Did uh, you know what what is your basketball love story? <laughs> well, you know, I had two older brothers. You know, they played basketball and, uh, you know, like recreation, like, you know, because they were going to school and stuff. And uh, I would always tag along. They wouldn't let me play because they were a lot bigger than me and I was a lot smaller. And I just had a love for basketball. I would always, you know, follow them. And so I would go to, we had the parks. They had the public parks around there and they had basketball courts up there. But the schools were, the courts at that time, D.C. was segregation. You could not play on those courts. So what we would do at night, you know, by the street lights, when the park is closed, we would go down with tennis balls <laughs> and try to play basketball. Then we got got to a volleyball, you know, to a volleyball. And then we had a friend, I won't mention his name, though, you know, we would call him, I can't think of him, you know, he was, I mean, he could steal anything. I mean, he could... <laughs> Really, you could stand there, he could steal the stuff out of your pocket. And we got told him we want to get a basketball. And the next day, he came back with a basketball. Everybody needs got, friends like that, yeah. right? I mean, what's it called? It was a thief name, and then he could do it. I mean, he could do it. Anything you wanted to get, a guy would get, could go get. You know, no problem at all. And so we got finally got a basketball. So we started playing at night, street lights, mm-hmm. and doing on, on Saturdays, you know, and we'd play. What was it that you loved about playing? Uh, Well, it was just something something to do, you know, because D.C. at the time was a very segregated city. And they had a a public park around the corner from us, probably two blocks. And at that park, they had a baseball field. They had a swimming pool. They had basketball courts. They had all these nice things, swings and everything you you would want. But we couldn't you know, play on those things. And what we would do, we would go down in the, late in the afternoon when the park was pretty much going close and try to play there by the, with the street lights. And then the police would come around and chase us off. And we'd keep coming back. So they got really tired of that. <laughs> chase us <laughs> off, you know, because we were kids, you know, teenagers. And that's how it started for me, you know, with basketball. And then was this place called the Southeast Settlement House, was, you know, a black community. They did, had a basketball court, and I would go there. So that's how I got it, you know, to basketball. I really like basketball. So you started playing what, what, at what age? Were you like middle school, about, high school? Or? About, no, no. I was in elementary school mm. when I first started mm-hmm. trying to play. And then, you know, I got, you know, when I, I, I think probably the time I really got a little better, I thought when I was about 14, you know, I was a little bigger and thing and a little stronger. And that's when I, you know. Then when I went to high school, you know, then from there, then college, then pro. Yeah. So now, uh, go. Let's talk a little bit about going into college. Was that when you started really thinking that basketball was what you were going to do with your life, or were you just thinking about getting into school? I was just thinking about you know, getting into school, you know, and then playing, you know, and then playing basketball. You know, I didn't ever think about 
being a professional player or anything else. I never, never, it never dawned on me. You know, all I did was like to play. You know, I just said, hey, you know, play. You know, basketball. I couldn't wait till you know, in school clothes, weekends. You know, play basketball. And that was your life. That was my life. So life. when did you when did you know that that this was going to be something you were going to do for a living? I, you know, I, I never, I, I never, I never really thought about that. I never thought about you know playing professional basketball. But even though we went to a couple of games, had some tickets, go to pro games, and then I saw a couple of pro guys play. And then they say, you know, when I thought about it, gee, I wish you know, you know, play. Then I said, now because Washington D.C. was a very prejudiced, racist city. And the game, the teams there were all white players. They didn't have any black players. So I figured, you know, hey, you know, I didn't get that out of my mind trying to play professional basketball. I never thought about that. So and where then, did that first break come from? I'm, you know, I, I'm trying to think of when it was because I know, like, my, my older brother, I have two older brothers. And one was 6'8", and the other one was 6'6". Six, six. And so happened they got a tryout to play professionally. They got a tryout, and both of them did but neither one of them made it, you know. And so, you know, I didn't think about it. You know, it didn't dawn on me until I went to college and everything, and then, you know, got reviews from college, you know, Sports Illustrated and everything was writing about it. And then I thought about it, and then doing the summer league. I used to go to a summer league and play when the season is over, and they're playing against older guys. And so it happened, I found that I was a lot, lot, you know, better. And I said, gee, you know, <laughs> and a couple of those guys went, professional you know uh-huh. they didn't stay long but they did and so happened i was you know went to college seattle university and uh every chance i would get to play i would did and finally i made you know all american everything else and they started writing all the sports real estate and all that stuff like that and so happened i was the first player picked in the draft number one pick and now so, was this was this um talk about uh being in the army also because you had you had dueling careers going for you there around this time well doing army was a waste of time because simple reasons <laughs> you know i hate to say that you know but i'm very patriotic and stuff like that but think about it they didn't i never had a uniform because i didn't the uniform didn't fit me you know because i'm six five and you know it's like all the other people like five ten five eleven most of them <laughs> and so i didn't have a uniform I didn't have shoes, I didn't have clothes, and didn't even have a bed. And so what they did, the carts were so small, they take, they they welded two big cots together, and that's where I sleep in a separate part because I couldn't sleep in the way the other guy sleeps. <laughs> yeah, and I tell you, you know, I told the guys, you know, like this this this, this guy was very nice, was the captain, and I said, you know, this is sort of ridiculous, you know, it's like, hey, what the heck I'm doing in the army anyway, you know, and I was married. You know, I had a kid. And I said, you know, this is ridiculous. And so I met some guy that told me was an attorney. And he said, what they were doing, trying to get all the celebrities, you know, players, singers, and everything else who happened, they were drafting them, taking them into the, uh, you know, army. But so I was they can get six, the publicity from that. Yeah, yeah. right. And yeah. it was only six months. So I was, there, you know, for six months, most miserable time of my life. It really was, man. The food, everything it was terrible. <laughs> that was after Elvis went into the service, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so they were they were trying to get people to go yeah. in. Yeah, they were getting, yeah. Yeah. getting a lot of guys, singers, you know, musicians and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
When you uh, started playing professionally in basketball, as you said before, there were mm-hmm. most of the teams were white teams. It was uh, they would have like a token black person right. on each team, and uh, always a very good player. But there were so so many of you who really stood out. How did you kind of? You lived through that whole transition to the current NBA mm-hmm. that we have today. And I know that there were a lot of difficult times during that time. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine you guys were important to each other. Were, were, they, were people connected? Did the, the guys who were the black players on each team, did you guys know each other and were you all friendly? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because think about it, see, so happened the, the, the black players, like they had no place, no facilities play like the white players have you know places that they could go play gyms and everything else you know they had we, we didn't have anything and so what we would do we'd go to the playground and play at the playground and uh police would run us off park police would run us off the playground and then they have a place to build call it the southeast settlement house you know where kids can go after school go there they had games and they had teachers and stuff they had helping them out with their work and stuff like that and so they would they had team, put a team together, Southeast Settlement House, basketball team, and we would just play. We'd play against each other. And finally, you know, they had a summer league there, and they had a white team, and they let us play in that summer league, and we just killed them. (laughs) (laughs) We did. I mean, they couldn't just imagine. Wow. (laughs) What happened was Elgin had such a reputation for being a great high school player, Uh and they didn't believe it. I know. And they wanted to see. What was this, and was he as great as he was? And there was a player named Jerry, I think Wexler, who was uh, in the White High School, and he wanted to see if Elgin could really play. So they got a team together, and somebody from the African-American newspaper rented a, a gym. And so they had the team that was uh, the black kids, and they had the team that was the white kids. And the place sold out. The guy said, this was one of the books we read preparing for his book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The place was, people were trying to get in all kinds of ways. It was just amazing. And they beat him like a drum. (laughs) (laughs) He said, this guy works in a book that he wrote. He said he had never seen anybody do a reverse dunk before. He said he'd never seen basketball played on the level. He said he'd never seen it. He just, it was nothing that he could ever imagine. And you guys were were, were ha- you were having fun. I mean, it wasn't oh, yeah. you weren't really thinking about like the technique or any of this other stuff, but you were actually changing the game mm-hmm. and not even realizing what you were doing. No, you? Absolutely, you know, we just thought it's something to do when the summertime comes. Just just fun. No one ever thought, you know, we'll uh, you know have a professional career, you know, playing you know basketball. Mm-hmm. But then as I, you know, the, the years start going by when I got to be a senior in college and thing, you know, I started realizing that, gee, you know, I'm just as good as a lot of those guys that are pro players, you know. Exactly. You know, playing professional so basketball. You can hang with them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For See? sure. And so happened, I made All-American, all that, you know, and uh, the player of the year and everything, my senior year. Mm-hmm. And then I, in the draft, I was the first player picked in the draft. Mm-hmm. Well, you've made a lot of significant contributions to the sport, um, talking about your style of play. I mean, when you look at the way the game was played back then, strictly fundamentals, you know, passes, layups, you know. But you you guys ushered in a whole era of high-flying athleticism that really 
set the the foundation for the NBA that we know today. And I, I, I'm willing to bet you probably didn't even realize that that was you were the change that was happening at that no, time. No, I didn't think about it because think about it when I go out there and play. You know, I would just want to do the things that I wanted to do that feel comfortable doing. You know, wasn't anything that you know I was taught to do and supposed to do. And you know, sometimes the coach would look at this. They say, "Wait a minute, you know, I would want to do a double reverse and this and that." You know, and then I got to the point where because you could because of, yeah. And think about it though. So happened the the fans and things started liking that. So it didn't bother me anymore, you know. So, you know, we say, hey, you know, they will even ask me, hey, could you do this and do that and then for the fans and all that. So I said, yeah, sure. It's brought a Enjoy lot of it. excitement yeah. to the league. But, yeah. I mean, at the same time that you're playing this game uh, that you love, that you're mm-hmm. enjoying, that you're having fun, that you're able to make a, a living playing, you are dealing with some of the worst racism in the history of our country mm-hmm. and uh, traveling on the road and having to deal with all that. So a lot of these stories you tell in uh, Hang Time, my, my, li- my Life in Basketball, and uh, looking back, what was it that helped you make it through some of those times and to to stand tall when when people were excluding you from hotels and restaurants on the road and just treating you so differently from the others? No, I think it was my mother. You know, was a very strong woman. You know, she just say, "Wait, hey, you know, very religious. Don't worry about. The good Lord's going to take care of you and everything." And you know, she was so supportive of that. And then I didn't worry about anything you know i just thought everything was going to be you know okay and uh, you know there were times when you know we couldn't stay in certain places motels you know traveling a team you know and, and i couldn't understand it you know being young understand you know see i thought you know everything's supposed to be equal you know we're supposed to be able to because because you know we could play on the playgrounds police would run us off that you know with the white guys you know and didn't want us to do that but, you know, traveling, I, you know, I couldn't understand, you know, why we couldn't stay in a hotel, you know. Tell them about the Daniel Boone Hotel. You should huh? have known about that. Which one Daniel Boone. Yeah, when you wanted to play in West Virginia Parade. Oh, <clears throat> yeah. Daniel Boone, the name of the hotel, should have yeah, given him yeah. a clue. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even know True. that. <laughs> I know that, you know, when they said, yeah, the Daniel Boone Hotel. i never, never forget that, you know. And uh, so we, we, we got there. And so anyway, so... You know, uh, uh, our coach, you know, he was going to the front office to see the people there, you know, get our rooms and all that stuff straightened out. So while we were waiting, so when he came back, we were still standing there. So he said, what are you guys still doing here? And so they wouldn't let us in the hotel to their rooms, you know. And uh, so I told him, I said, you know, I'm not going to play, you know. And then he didn't talk me into playing, but I said, I'm not going to play, you know. And then I said, and I told the other guys, I said, you know, and then I thought about it, you know. They said, well, gee, you're the star of the team, <laughs> you know. So we don't, I said, <laughs> we hey, you know. You. <laughs> I said, they're not going to do anything. What are they going to do? You know, they want that game. They'll lose money if they don't, see. And see, because what happened, they wouldn't let us stay in a place. They want us to go to, so end up going to a place called Teresa's Motel, a black place. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a big hotel right there. And so finally, you know. They finally got this, you know, straightened out. Then they had a big article in the paper, and I, I could not believe this. The next day, and they had article. And they talked about see the big nigger, colored boy. I mean, colored boy. Yeah, I'm sorry. yeah. I looked it big, up online sorry, because I wanted nigger. to see what was behind big all that. Boy. <laughs> and these businessmen put up a thousand dollars to put this on. And when Elgin didn't play, they mm-hmm. said the big colored boy yeah. was more interested in eating than playing. <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> well, it's good to be able to, to set the story straight, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. after even even after all this time, you know. Yeah. But not only were you so significant in, in changing the style of basketball and helping to integrate it as well. I know one of the, the big things that you were in the the in the center of was um uh was the boycott. The, yeah. the very first basketball boycott, yeah. and I saw some uh, some uh, that story being told really very eloquently in that uh, basketball love story documentary. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what that period was like for you, what the what it was that the players really wanted, and looking back, uh, how significant that really has been, not just in the development of the NBA, but I think in in labor uh, movements. Period. You know, yeah, because I think you know, it's like. Uh, that actually, the NBA was not fair to some of the players. You know, some of the players they didn't want to pay the money. You know, and at the time, uh, school teachers were making I think it was sixty five hundred dollars. You know, and so what they wanted to do pay the players a little less than that. You know, like maybe you know six thousand dollars, where other teams were paying eight, ten thousand dollars to their players. And uh, you know, we said, hey, you know, this is not right. You know, this is not right. And mostly the black players. All, you know, we only had, I think, Hot Rod Hundley at the time. Jerry West later on mm-hmm. at the time. But Jerry was a part of it. But Jerry that, was yeah, a part yeah, of it. Yeah, two, at that you time. Know, you know, yeah. and two two white and other, other black players on the team. Yeah. And but so, that was when guys would get injured and they disappear. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because they had no oh, medical. Oh, yeah, they, they, they get rid of them. If a guy got hurt, you know, if a guy wasn't a good player, they'd get rid of you know, which if you got hurt, or if anything happened to you, yeah, right. rather it's, than take care of you, because just, they didn't have athletes medical, were just a step yeah. above racehorses. They didn't have any any rights, any privileges, no medical, no retirement, yeah. none of that. You know, play until you drop, and then get rid of you. <clears throat> I know. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that certainly has changed, and I, I, I oh, can yeah. imagine that uh, in your years as an executive, that. It must have made your head spin a little bit looking at some of those contracts and looking at the kind of money that players who've <laughs> never done anything and, and go on to never do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and right. the money yeah, but I was happy for it, you know, <laughs> to get, make sure the players get you know paid, uh, uh, you know, fairly. And uh, and I didn't wasn't that job long. I don't know how many years. What did I do that? A couple uh, of years. What? General manager? Yeah. I know. It, I mean, yeah, well, it was long enough. Look, it, look, seemed, look, it, it was like too long. <laughs> <laughs> it was too long. You want to forget that. Yeah. <laughs> you 22 years. You want to forget it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, t- we'll talk about that in a minute. But but I want you to just talk, too, about that initial uh, work stoppage, the, the boycott. And, you know, a lot of people think that kind of thing is always about money. That's not really what that was about, was it? Well, it was it was about both. I mean, it was about money, condition, travel condition, places that we stayed in. They would put us in, you know, some dumpy places and everything else. And then we, you know, started talking about certain guys got injured, you know. And I said, gee, you know, it's like, and the doctor, you know, I felt sorry. He said, they, you know, like his career's over. You know, a guy like broke his ankle, his knee, and all that stuff like that when guys started getting hurt. And you felt sorry because they had a family, you know, thing. And they had no insurance or anything. So finally we got, you know, I'm trying to think of the attorney's name. This guy was a big basketball fan, nice guy. And so he said, you know, like he would represent us, you know, the players. And he wouldn't charge us any money. You know, he just happened to do it, you know. I guess he was getting the spotlight, though. You know, yeah, sure. It was good, sure. It was good yeah. for him. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> he, he probably did, was and able to build he, his career uh, on he got, it, he got it going. You know, yeah, he yeah. got it going. Yeah, but when, and then but so, we were able to get a pension and everything. We didn't have any of that. 
Yeah. In situations like that, though, you know, there are some people who are for it and some people who are against it. Mm-hmm. And peer pressure has a lot to do with it. I remember in the documentary, Oscar Robinson was talking about how, you know, not everybody really wanted to be in that room when they closed the door, but mm-hmm. nobody really wanted to leave. You didn't want to be the one to get up and walk out mm-hmm. on, on your brothers. I mean, because this is a family, a team is, yeah. a fan, you know, a group of people mm-hmm. doing something like that. Yeah. So I would imagine some people were into it, some people weren't, but they're different situations, right? Yeah, because, you know, the thing about it, you know, because I remember, never forget, you know, like we came to play in, in West Virginia. And uh, and uh, so. In St. Louis. In St. Louis, too. But this one was in, mm-hmm. in, in, in West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia, with Hot Rod Hunley's hometown. Yeah, yeah. And Hot Rod Hunley was a nice guy. You know, he's a white player, but, I mean, he was just, you know, he think he's black, you know. <laughs> Hot Rod, you know, to him, didn't matter to him. He was balling. Oh yeah, yeah. And so we, you know, so so he was tr- trying to get get us to play there in his hometown. See, play a game there. So we finally got to play a game there in his hometown. And so we had played the, the, that that night before. So we came to his hometown, and so uh, the, the coach went to check us in at the hotel. You know, he go in the hotel to get the rooms and everything else. So we stand out there waiting. And so he comes back and he said, "What are you guys doing standing here waiting?" They wouldn't let us in the hotel. The black players couldn't go in the hotel. They could not believe it, you know. And so, you know, Fred, you know, he's, you know, one thing, he was very liberal, you know. So he just went off. You know, he went and started telling them off and everything. And Hot Rod Hunley, too, you know, was white, but that was his hometown. And he said, well, it was an embarrassment to him, you know, for him to do that. And uh, so it worked out well. worked out fine. Eventually. Huh? The next year, the uh, yeah, next year, yeah, then they, they had, did something, and the NAACP yeah. gave him an award. Mm-hmm. You know, nineteen sixty. They gave me an award for what? Yeah. I don't know what it was for. Well, for standing up, for <laughs> not for being standing true. up, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. what it was for. Because they didn't <laughs> believe. You know, you know, it was like in, at, when I got some nasty letters. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, first when the open man said, "Nigger, who do you think you are?" You <laughs> know, what say that right? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, God, I got a ton of nasty letters. Then I got a lot of. Nice what, letters. Really nice letters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I say, man, you know. <laughs> and that stuff is important. You know, yeah. you talk about your mom and, and yeah. what a, what an impact she has had on you. I think a, another part of the secret of your success is having somebody beside you mm-hmm. that understands what you're going through and it is super supportive. And uh, that would be you, Elaine. <laughs> uh, and I, I was mm-hmm. I always love to ask couples how they met. And uh, very often there are two versions of that story. So we will hear yours first, Elaine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, we were in New Orleans. I'm from New Orleans. And um, the Jazz had come there as an expansion team. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine, his wife and I modeled together. I'm a social worker, but you don't make any money as a social worker, so you have to have more than one job. <laughs> so I modeled also. And this Which is guy, understandable. <laughs> there you go. So <clears throat> this guy was very nice. His wife modeled also. And he was the guy that walked us to our cars after the shows and stuff like that. Very nice guy. So that's how we got to be friends. But he was a basketball fanatic. He was basketball crazy if he could have played i'm sure he would have Mm -hmm. peter michelle so um when the jazz come to town um elgin tells me that peter said oh you've got to meet this girl you've got to meet this whatever whatever and elgin was just coming off of a marvin mitchelson divorce and he said he didn't want any part of any woman he didn't want to meet anybody (laughs) leave him alone (laughs) he didn't want to say none of that so but peter persisted and he called me and said oh 
Elgin Baylor is in town, and I, Elgin Baylor, so, you know, I mean, <laughs> I didn't know anything about basketball. My brother is the baby, and, you know, we never read the sports section or anything like that, so I didn't know anything about Elgin, didn't know anything very much. Actually, you took me to the first professional sports mm. game I went to, so... Uh, he said, you don't know who Elgin Baylor is. He's the best forward. They ever play the game. And on and on and on and on. And I'm listening. And so he said, oh, you've got to meet him. And I thought to myself, oh, my Lord, a black athlete. <laughs> How conceited. Oh, my gosh. I said, oh, Peter. You know, he said, come on, Elaine. Look, we people in the South always pull this. We've known each other a lot of years. <laughs> now, would I introduce you to somebody that wasn't a nice guy? And so I said, well... Okay, you can give him my number. And so he did, and Elgin called. And um, the first time we talked, um, we talked for about 45 minutes or so. He has so many stories to tell. I mean, so many interesting things. And nobody in New Orleans had anything like that to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) He was a man of the world. (laughs) Oh, interesting, interesting, you know. And... um, we talked, he called me like every day. and Every uh, day? That's right, for, for about a week. And then <laughs> at the end of the week, he said, well, oh, you have to come to a game. So I said, well, okay. And uh, But that was uh, Good Friday when the last game was. I said, wait a minute, I'm going to services with my girlfriend, but if she can't find a babysitter, then I'm free. And so he said, okay, well, just let me know. So um, she couldn't find a babysitter. So I guess it was all intended to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Um, we made, you know, we went to the game. He came to pick me up, and uh, that was the first time I saw him. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I wonder how he looks. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he was excited when he saw you. <laughs> oh wow! And when he when he came into my apartment, I, I noticed. Oh, wow, tall, like a real man, mm-hmm. you know, like my uh-huh. dad is tall. Uh-huh. But most of the guys in New Orleans, you know, guys are short, you know. And uh, I said, geez. <laughs> so went to the game, and it was very nice and attentive. Sent me with Florence Van Bredekoff, who was Butch, Butch Van Bredekoff's wife. Butch mm-hmm. was the head coach at that time. And she kind of explained things to me and told me what things were and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was very nice. And after that, we went to Brennan's for uh, a late dinner. And stay there. The place we closed the place, but the waiters were just standing around. They were listening to his stories too. <laughs> but you know, it was just um, that was the beginning. And he never let one date in without making another one. Oh, so he'd awesome. always tell me, "Okay, well, this is going on. Do you want to go to that? Or this is going on." And for me, it's not like I had a dance car that was full. I said, "Sure." <laughs> Well, for a man who had just gone through a Marvin Mitchelson divorce, uh, you change your mind pretty quickly. What was it? What was it about Elaine that that really caught your attention? Besides the fact that she's beautiful uh, and smart and and all of that. Uh, let me see. Because uh, I mean, what's his name? Peter Marshall. What's the guy that Michelle? Uh, Michelle. Peter yeah. Michelle. Yeah, was telling me about you know Elaine. This girl. He's going on just talking, just saying you got to meet and everything else. You know. And so, you know, I say, well, curiosity got the best of me. You know, I say, well, I got to see this woman. She was getting so much advanced pub <laughs> you had to see, right? I know. And he was telling me, man, you know, it's like, you know. And uh, so I just happened to see her. She's a beautiful woman. And think about it. You know, it's like uh, it's very te- intelligent, you know, talking to her, you know. Because some of those women you talk to, man, they... <laughs> 
you know, I don't even know if they went to high school. I mean, <laughs> and I said, wow, you know. <laughs> so anyway, so, and so you know, we met, went out, had dinner and everything else. And uh, and so the thing about it, Elaine, uh, uh, I would always make plans for, you know, every day. You know, which is good. You know, you got to keep the you got to keep the romance happening. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and you still do that, right? Of course. Of course. <laughs> she looks happy to me. <laughs> well, I know you had um, recently a really happy occasion when they dedicated your statue at Staples mm-hmm. Center, and I want to talk a little bit about the Lakers and about your storied history with them. Part uh, you were part of that that Laker organization during one of the most dynamic rivalries in all of sports between the Lakers and the Boston Celtics and you excelled in those years so dramatically and became a hero really to so many of us that when they uh, decided to put your statue up I'm telling you everybody I just felt that it was just such a fitting thing for that to happen what what a great honor no it was honored you know it was it's nice that people remember you know sometimes you play and some of the other players and you know, you forget about them. <laughs> You're gone, you know, out of it. And it's nice, you know, people have always been nice and kind, you know, it was a nice thing to say. And I uh, enjoyed it. And I enjoy talking to people, you know, fans, they ask me questions, you know, that make sense. Now, some of them you know, ask questions, but still, I, you know, I tolerate it, but still, it can never, you know, because think about it, I say, where would you be if you didn't have these fans? Yeah, so that's you true. Have to be, you know, they mean everything. Yeah, you have to be considerate. Yeah, you know, you know. Uh, Marsha Withers, yeah. uh, Bill Withers' wife, is mm-hmm. a, a good friend of ours, and mm-hmm. and uh, she sent me a link to the clip of Bill Withers making uh, his little speech presenting you <laughs> when you got your statue, which was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, really funny. <laughs> Bill is something. Yeah. yeah, Bill is something else. Talk a little bit about your friendship with Bill Withers and what that day meant to you and having him there too. No, Bill is. You know, you know, he's he's a fun fun person. Thing about Bill though, Bill is sensitive though. You know, he you know he gets a little ticked off sometimes with people, and and thing about it, when he does, he just goes right out and just tell it like it is. You know, Bill, you know? <laughs> just I like said, he does in the song. I know, he does, right? I know. Bill, wait a minute, Bill, we didn't you know Bill used the f word a lot. <laughs> you know, and I say, come on, you know, Bill, you know, and he's fun to be around. You know, he's entertaining. You know, uh, he, he is. He's uh, very he funny very guy. Entertaining. He he's always he really going to find something. You know, to call he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and he know. was in rare form on that particular day. Oh. I thought Shaq was going to lose it on oh, stage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it's really hilarious watching the responses of everybody. Yeah. Nobody up there was cool except you, Elgin. You were cool because <laughs> you were used to it, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> he wanted to make his speech right. <laughs> it was a great speech. Yeah. Well, it's not easy, you know. Public speaking. Yeah. yeah. It's not yeah. easy. It's not, you yeah. know. But looking back at your, yeah. your time with the Lakers, talk about some of the things that you are most proud of uh, that happened during that particular period of your career. Gosh, playoffs, I guess. Well, yeah, some seriously well, entertaining you know playoffs. Oh. No, the thing is, I was proud of the fact that I was able to play professional basketball, and I had some serious injuries, especially with my knee, you know, and I went to the point where I didn't think that I would be able to play again. You know, it was a very serious injury, and it was, you know, very concerning, you know, and I just, you know, prayed and everything else, and then, then you know, went along, everything came out okay. And that was a moment of, like, depression, you know, like, wow, you know, what are you going to do, you know? 
and just you know, I just hope that prayed that I just be normal. You know, okay, mm-hmm. I don't have to play basketball. <laughs> just let me think. Mm-hmm. You know, that was normal. But so happened. Good Lord healed me, and I came back and played better than I ever played. Yeah, so which was, is you know, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And and then after basketball, when uh, you went on uh, into management mm-hmm. and uh, worked with the Clippers, what was that like for you when when you started telling people you were going to go work for the Clippers? Was well, I, no, I was wondering no, about that. No, it, you know, no, everything you know went fine. The only thing we're concerned about is the owner. You know, the owner's a little tight. <laughs> he doesn't want to spend any money. That there was a difficult. Most and this is before part. we found out how really crazy he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And see, that was tough because you're going out recruiting, you know, and you're going these guys coming out of school, college guys. You're going to them, and generally they will get agents, to, you know. And they said, no, no, you know, there's no way we're going to play for Donald Sterling. You know, no way we're not going to play for that guy. It was really tough to get players, you know. And, uh, and you, you know, get them and, you know, I promise them, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'll try to help you and do this and that. You know, some of them I say, well, it's better than nothing. Walk the street, you know, get you something, you know. But it was very difficult because Donald, you know, he just didn't want to pay players. And, you know. and and in those couple of years that you were there, they were tumultuous. I mean, you know, there <laughs> there was a lot going on there. But you clearly fought for a lot of the young players to get in on that team and to be able to get decent contracts too. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know what so happened. Uh, uh, you know, I would talk to the players and just say and talk to the agents. You know, really get through the agents first because the agents are the one that can really talk to the players. And so happened. Uh, you know. Just talking about it, you know, people, the media people asked me about it. Then Donald, you know, all of a sudden, he, just, you know, I was surprised he changed his mind and he would start paying players. But then he would go through periods where he didn't want to play players. And then he would say, well, I don't like that player. You know, I mean, he doesn't know anything about basketball. And he'd say, some reason to save some money. Well, I don't like that player. Damn, you've never seen him play now. You told me that, I don't want to use names, but um, the team had developed to a point where there was promise. You right. Know, it mm-hmm. hadn't happened, yeah. but it was promise. There was, it could. And I know you told me about a conversation you had with Donald. You said, look, if you don't pay these players, these people are going to run you out of town. You know, this team is finally getting to a point where we might be able to do something, you know. And so he kind of loosened up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and signed some players that, that – uh, that But, boy, that, that was prophetic, though, that he would be run out of town because that's <laughs> ultimately what happened to right. him. And, and uh, one, of the, one of the strangest stories in all of basketball history, the story of, of Donald Sterling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Bizarre. Oh, yeah. 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 Spend the money. Yeah. 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 yeah, but, you know, the thing is, is I know – with with the players, but Elgin also got um, brought in a train trainer. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, people in other positions. Because of his position, he was able to bring in other guys. And you know, we've since we've been out and around, they'll come and say thank you. Even um, this last time, a couple of players came by to say that you know, a lot of them were raised without fathers, so. They would go in and talk to Elgin and said, you know, you didn't realize how valuable those talks were. Yeah, that you he know? was their father figure. Yeah. yeah in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah. It was so much more than basketball. Yeah. It's a great legacy. I mean, uh, w- what you've left on how you changed the game, uh, the the whole thing with the strike and being involved in that and being strong and standing up tall for that. Mm-hmm. You know, your accomplishments on the court, your accomplishments in the front office. Uh, a great marriage that that is a, a wonderful 
couple that people love and uh, love to see you together. And both of you seem super happy still, which is fantastic. Uh, but when you look back at your life, I, I want to ask both of you this one last question. Um, what is the best advice that anybody ever gave you that helped you in your life and in your career? And what is some advice you wish someone had given you? Mm. Who wants to go first? You know what? I had given advice for before. What? I can't remember what I did, though. What? Advice. I was asked that question before. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yep, and I asked that question. I'm trying to remember what <laughs> I remember the advice came through you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he went to a, a men's fellowship at church, and the person that spoke yeah. said, you know, it was about marriage, don't the two of you get angry at the same time. Somebody has to keep a cool head, so don't both of you try if, you know, just somebody has to keep a cool head. You have to take and, turns going off. <laughs> yeah, you know, and try. Somebody has to try to be cool if the other one's getting. And I remember him sharing that with me, and I thought, you know, that really does make sense. Because like anybody, I mean, you know, we were two strong personalities, and, you know, we'd argue about anything. Elgin would argue about the way things are arranged in the refrigerator. Oh. And, I mean, it's just, you know, and then I finally realized he's not making any sense. You know, <laughs> he just wants to be right, you know. And then, okay, okay, this is an athlete. He wants to win, you know. And so um, I kind of knew what to what to challenge and pick my fights, you might say. Mm -hmm. But um, that that information about, okay, somebody has to keep a cool head, was really, really good advice. Mm -hmm. Really good advice. And, and any advice you wish someone had given you? Uh, maybe something that you've learned just through the living of this life? And uh... Well, before we got married, we talked about um, getting married and love and commitment and said that, okay, um, we're going to get married. We're going to stay married. So... We're going to work to make it work and be committed to doing that. So if I were to give anybody advice, I would say love is important, but commitment is as important because feelings change. You could be angry today, you could be happy today, whatever, but you have to have a grounded commitment that's going to see you through all changes. Right. So sometimes the commitment will hold you through. You know, and you have to have that. Yeah, and, and stick it, with it. It'll override all those other things that happen in life. Right. How about right. you, Elgin? Some of the best advice anybody ever gave best you. Best advice? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I never really thought about it because, you know, think about it. I, you know, Elaine, to me, do you have uh, some earplugs put on? Because I don't want her getting you lose. See, <laughs> she, no, she is a perfect woman. Believe it uh, or not, you know, the only problem I've ever had, Elaine, just had to be a little, be late a little bit. You know, sometimes. That. Oh. <laughs> but other than that. You know, like certainly she is. That's because she was thing. busy getting perfect. Yeah, what well, is? I mean, really? Yeah, I mean, it takes time. I know. I mean, no, really, she's un un unbelievable. She's unbelievable. Well, I think kind, she's kind, considerate. I, I mean, it's like everything. You know. I think she feels yeah. the same way about you. You know, as a man, as mm -hmm. a player, watching his career and watching mm -hmm. him evolve. Mm -hmm. What is it you love most about Elgin Baylor? Well, I didn't know him really as an athlete. I knew about him, but. Um, I know that he works very hard for perfection to try to do the best, the best that he can with whatever he has. Um, I saw over the time that he was managing, uh, sometimes in preparing for the draft, how he would just be so focused. It was like he was not there. He was somewhere else. His body would be there, but he wasn't there. And 
um, just that kind of being driven to do a really, really good and outstanding job. And um, that standard, you know, I appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the high standards are very, very important. Yeah. They will yeah. take you through a long way in life. And they certainly have done that for you, Mr. Elgin Baylor. Yeah. And we are super, super proud of you. Any thoughts about these new Lakers? You know what? I haven't really watched a oh, full, yes, you full game, huh? You have. I watched some of the game. I mean, I haven't watched a full game, you know. Yeah, so, yes, yeah, the there's only been a couple of them so far. The last one was interrupted with a fight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, the thing about it, see, the, the big difference is going to be because they got LeBron, see, with the Lakers. You know, the guy's a ter- you know, terrific player. And, you know, I get questions asked about players, but I think he would be my favorite player because what's unique about LeBron, LeBron is, is 6'8", and he weighs like 270 or something like that, you know. And think about it, he can play every position. Every position. He, he can play, every, which is unusual. He can play every position, you know, on that on the, on that team, you know. And uh, you know, and he's a you know team player. But I watch him sometimes. He gets on his player. Sometimes he might make a pass and they drop the ball or something like that, you know. But I think you know they get along okay. They seem to get along okay. But I mean, he is controlled. I mean, he's he's a control freak. I mean, he gets which is good. I mean, he gets out there. You know, he tells them where to go, what they should be doing, everything else. But the guy is a terrific player. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he knows you know, he knows the game inside and out. Yeah. I love I love the passion yeah. that he yeah. plays with, yeah. and I love yeah. that he's like a grown up. You know. Yeah. He seems very mature, and mm-hmm. and he's someone too who also because uh, I know you've seen a lot of people who, you know, are rising stars who mm-hmm. coming up and stuff. But he's somebody who really lived up to the hype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hard to believe with the whole King James thing well, when he first came out with the you know, know. church and all that no, stuff. No, because they started playing, everybody thought he was a lot older than he is, yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. he was so much bigger and mature yeah. than all the other players. Yeah, yeah I remember it when was they very were. Very difficult. It was, uh, what is it, when you go scouting? They yeah. were scouting players. And Elgin told me, he said, This kid, he is big. He said, Nobody believes he's the age that he is. They yeah. think that they must be lying about his age or well, something. They were asking was, about his birth certificate more than oh, Obama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. No, right. No, right. Everybody right. Said, you know, thought yeah, he was older than he is. Yeah, he yeah. Be because he looks older. I yeah. mean, you know, he looks mature and you know, older. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody thought he was older. Yeah, but yeah. it's exciting to have yeah. him here in, in yeah. Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. and, and to have Magic back over there, too, at Staples yeah. Center, I think, is yeah. is a good I, thing. But combination, huh? But one of my favorite things is that we've got a statue of one of my favorite Lakers outside of the arena at Staples Center, and that would be you, Elgin oh, Baylor. <laughs> thank you, Elgin and Elaine, for, for joining thank us today you. for This Lady Loves Sports. Ah, thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.